Okay, we're just going to continue this morning on reconciliation, but we're going to see how reconciliation has everything to do with propitiation. And it has everything to do with Christ, of course. There would not be, God would never be, God the Father would never be propitiated, and we would never be reconciled if we didn't have a substitute. They are, they, they are so closely uh, related, but yet still, in one sense, far apart, not from the truth about what we have, but thank God, the truth that we have in Christ. So I'm just going to read just quickly in Romans 5. I'm going to read Romans 5, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read Romans uh, 5, uh, 19 to 21, and then we'll go to Colossians, the first chapter. So Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore being justified cleared of all guilt and condemnation in the courtroom of God's justice, that's justification, by faith, by this absolute dependence upon the person of Christ and what he's accomplished. We, all those that are in him, none other, none other at any other time, uh, when they die, there's not a second chance. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that we have is the fact that God the Father has been propitiated then when we receive Christ as the substitute, we're reconciled and we have peace with God. Remember, we've said so many times and, we'll, and, and we need to understand it, boy. We certainly do. I know I do. God never needs to be reconciled. There's nothing on man's side. The Christian, there's nothing on the Christian side that he can do or think that he can do to reconcile God to himself or himself to God. He couldn't do either. Christ did both. In other words, Christ only did both in the sense that God never, the Father, never needed to be reconciled. He needed to be propitiated. He needed to be propitiated. Man needed to be reconciled. We have peace with God through and through only and by only our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if we could only understand, it would do away with so much bad teaching. We need to get correct teaching first. That forms the foundation that Christ is in Matthew 16, verse 18. And it'll keep out all the bad teaching. It's not that we need to know first the bad teaching. We need to know, have that foundation. That foundation is built Again, this is why we need to start in the book of Ephesians. You don't need to go anywhere else. After salvation, after John, the gospel of John, and the epistle to the Romans, after, those things, after that, we need the foundation to be established in our experience based upon the position that we have, the positions brought out in John, the gospel, in Romans, the gospel, and it is brought out beautifully in an experiential way through teaching in the book of Ephesians. So we have peace with God. Not as some, even so-called scholars would say, let us. Because that puts something back on man. It gets man away from God. We have, because the whole context goes into it. We have peace with God through our Lord, Je our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it's we and our. No one else. That does away with the foolishness of universalism. Okay? 
Because universalism, it just bypasses the person's will and makes it go right back to God, that God did something without man's will, and is that love? No. God does not violate the free will of man. That's the only way that all those that prior to the operation of the will in time, when they die and enter into eternity, if God took them out, it would be against their will. That's why it does away with the foolishness of that teaching. Again, by whom, verse 2 of Ephesians, uh, of Romans 5, by whom also we have access. What an amazing thing. God, we have access by this absolute dependence who Christ is and what he's accomplished already into this grace, this grace, no other kind, this grace, wherein we stand. Now, we stand in our position. Every Christian in Christ, once receiving him, does stand. That's their position. Their standing is equal to their position. But what is their state or their condition or their experience? What is it? Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope, the hope that is settled that Christ is in Colossians 1.27, Christ in us. The hope, the guarantee of glory. In hope of, notice it, the hope is of the glory of God, something that Christ himself accomplished to his Father for us, and is now he has made himself to be ours through receiving him. And that brings out the truth of Colossians 1 and verse 27. Now we have this in 519 of Romans. For as by one man's disobedience, what happens when I don't know that Christ has fulfilled everything? I try to do something, and the only place I can try to do it is in the flesh, which is what? Disobedience, ignorantly. Maybe it's ignorantly. Maybe it's with the greatest intention. Tension has nothing to do with what Christ has accomplished on man's side. For man, had nothing to do. For if, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, and we were in Adam, we're all born that way in Psalm 51, 5, and Psalm 58, verse 3, so by the obedience of one will many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. Oh, here we go. The law, lordship salvation. The law, covenant theology, brought back into, the, into, in a wrong and evil way, into the experience of the Christian who's already been justified. We just read it. Do I need the law that he fulfilled in Romans 10, 4, in Matthew 5, 17, and 18? No. No, there's nothing left to do. In John 19, 30, he finished it. Moreover, the law entered. What was the only reason that the law enters? That the offense might abound, to bring it out. Remember, in Romans 7, verse 12, the law is holy, just, and good. Well, when, was that that was good, made wrong, and evil? I mean, no, God forbid. No, God gave the law to bring the sin nature out in man, to show him, listen, before you try to do anything, Apart from receiving what Christ has finished, it's going to bring out your sin nature. That's why. We're not under the old schoolmaster. Need to read Galatians, the third chapter. 
and stop being bewitched and, and deceived by the atmosphere through Satan who in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen is an angel of light. And verse 15, he has his ministers. But if that light is not Christ in John 8, 12, if the light that be in you be darkness in Matthew 6, verse 23, great is that darkness. I think it might be light. Why? Because he deceives me just like he deceives the world in Revelations 12, 9. And when he deceives a Christian to get them to function in the flesh, he's got them deceived, then he'll use them to accuse others that they don't line up with what they have. In Revelations 12, 10. That's, that's where all that bad, evil, nonsense teaching comes from. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But, Notice the but. That's a separation. And there's a contrast. Diametrically opposed. But where sin abounded, where does it abound? What brings it out? What brings out the sin nature? What brings out the flesh in a believer? What brings it out? Lordship salvation. It leaves Adam hiding. Hiding and trying to cover himself with all kinds of things. And still... In, in Genesis 3, 8 to 12, still being naked in the sight of God. Still pretending, love pretending. Pretending in Romans 12, 9. Let love be, let God be without pretending and what he's accomplished. Let it be without, and, and the enemy trying to keep the believer in the flesh and, and constantly accusing them privately of being a hypocrite by keeping him in that place. But where sin abounded, grace did much more. And then some way over abound. That as sin reigned as king, reigning in life as king unto death. You want to be a slave to, to the sin and to the sin nature in John 8 verse 34 as a Christian? Instead of being free in John 8 32? That depends on the teaching that we submit to. And that depends on how many times we come and hear the right kind of preaching and teaching, too, by the way. That as sin has reigned as king unto death, as a false authority, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, listen, by Christ our Lord. Did you notice that? Christ is our Lord. We don't make him our Lord. We've repeated it and we'll repeat it again. You don't make him Lord. Please read the Old Testament and read the New. And every single, listen, before man was ever even born or an angel was ever created, he's Lord. <laughs> Boy, the foolishness of it. Now we come into Colossians. Here's Colossians. Please read Colossians, the first chapter. I'm tempted to read it, but I, uh, you know, just read it. It's awesome. The first, if, you, if we read it. Well, look at Here's Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, listen to this, an apostle, a messenger. That's all he is. He's not the source of the messenger of Jesus. Notice that? The fact that he's a messenger has nothing to do with himself, not one single thing. It's of. His whole constitution, his new constitution, his very being being justified. Our very being is, is in, in our very being has to do with our image. 
Our very being as we're in Christ. We're a brand new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Old things not are in the process of passing away as we help God. No, it's past tense. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Behold through the preaching and teaching of the word and hungering after that. Boy, what kind of an appetite do we have as Christians? We feeding on the world, the things of the world in 1 John 2, 15? Or is it Christ? And it's very convicting in love to all of us. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, (laughs) who fulfilled the will in John 4, verse 34, he did, and to Motheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. That's not talking about your behavior. This points back to 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then you have fellowship with one another. and the blood of Jesus Christ, you experience the continual cleansing of that. And even in that, if we weren't cleansed all at once, read John 13, those first 11 verses, then if that wasn't the case of our proper conduct, what could we ever even confess in 1, 9 of 1 John chapter 1? So to the saints and faithful... Brethren, in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace unto you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Our prayers are always for you. They're never against you. (laughs) They're always for you. That's our whole thought life. There's no corrupt communication proceeding out of our mouth because of a bad thought. In in Ephesians 4, verse 29, there isn't, because then we would grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4, 30 from bringing the truth of our position about who we are in Christ and bringing into our experience, and there would be a delay or a stoppage, and we certainly don't want that. To his glory, for his glory first, and of course for our blessing. We give thanks, praying for you, praying always for you since we heard of your faith. Notice that? Your dependence, you can't do it for anybody else. Your dependence, and you have it, in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints. All the saints, all of them. What's our thought life? For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Notice that? That again. It's Colossians 1, verse 27, Christ our hope, which is what? What is our hope? An glorious, unbelievable eternity in Christ. We will be seeing John chapter 17 and verses 24 to 26. He's going to glorify us and show us the glory that we are, but oh my God, you want to talk about his glory that's going to be revealed to us. 22, I should say, 22 to to 26 of John 17. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, it's for you. Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Listen, he's for us, meaning everything about that is done. The propitiation and the reconciliation has been accomplished by Christ, period. Now he's nothing but for us for us. That's why there's never any anger or bitterness from God when he chastens us. It's all his love. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, Hebrews the 12th chapter and those 29 verses bring it out very, very beautifully. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world 
and brings forth fruit. Did you hear that? Who brings forth the fruit? Wow. Whose fruit is it in John 15, 1 to 5? Do we, with the nonsense of lordship salvation, do we have to make him lord and when we do, we, he, he's able to produce the fruit and we help him with it? Nonsense. And brings forth fruit. Notice the context. As it does also in you since the day you heard of it. Notice that? You had it in your position in Christ. And knew. And boy, do we. But do we know the grace of God in truth? Can I separate the two? That's where legalism comes in and separates the two. Separates justification and sanctification. Then you end up into Arminianism. You can lose your salvation, or you either end up in Calvinism. Only some, only those that are saved by God's will, apart from theirs, and all the rest, all their rest are going to hell, regardless of anything. As you have also learned of Epaphras and 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 our dear fellow servant, who is what for you, a faithful minister of Christ. You know we we know we're faithful. We know we're functioning in the faithfulness of God in us and towards us when we are for all others. Who also declared unto you your love in the Spirit. Notice that. Again, bring it's God. God is the Holy Spirit, and God is love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. For this cause, the cause, every cause has an effect. For this cause, we... Notice that. We also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. Notice that. Prayers are for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, which has accomplished everything, fruit included, and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, in every good work, whose good work is it? In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, that makes it clear. Good work, what? Here it is again. In every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the knowledge is of God. Strengthened with all might, all power, according to his glorious power. That power that in 1 Peter 1, verse 5, keeps us. We're kept as his heavenly people. And he will have that power on the earth, and we will see the manifestation of that as we rule and reign with him in Revelations, the 20th chapter, and during the millennial reign, we will see that crystal clear in the scriptures, that you might be filled and walk worthy, strengthened with all might, according to the glory, to his glorious power, and when it's his glorious power, it's unto all patience. Hupomone macrothumia. Circumstances and situations don't change love. <laughs> they don't change us when we function in it. Negative, nasty people that are acting evil against us, no matter who they are, saved or unsaved, does not change us a bit. Ken, again, in Matthew 15, 16 to 20, and Mark the seventh chapter, it's not that that goes into a man that defiles him, it's that that comes out. That defiles him. That does away with, with the blame game. Furthermore, Christ has done away with it completely. Again, we see it in Genesis, the third chapter, by the 15th verse down through. And it does away with all of that. So now we see 
clearly here, and I'm seeing it with you, and I'm thankful with you, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us. Did we see that? Who made us? He made us. How? Through Christ. How? Christ propitiated him. We received him. He, we were once alienated. He reconciled us. We had to have a go-between. Job 9.33, 1 Timothy 2. And verse 5, thanks be unto the Father which has made us qualified to be partakers, 2 Peter 1, 4, the partakers of that divine nature in our experience so that we escape the lusts of the flesh that's still in us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9 and keeps us from functioning in the world just like the world and thinking it's okay because we think we're going to win them that way, which made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, and the light is Christ, right, who's in us, in John 8, 12, and so forth, who has, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness and has transliterated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Phenomenal. That's, that's, that's why Colossians belongs right next to Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians go together. In whom, in 114, notice that's our position. It goes back to Ephesians. That's why they go together. In whom's position. In whom we are having. That's the way we should read Colossians 1 in verse 14, based upon 1 John 1 verse 7. In whom we are having redemption through his blood, which, which is constantly revealing to us in an eternal place, the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of that God who's invisible, because obviously who could see him? There's none that's ever seen him in all his fullness, in John 1 and verse 18 couldn't be, because Isaiah 57, 15, he inhabits eternity. <laughs> He's invisible. But God, the image of Christ, has made him visible and become the firstborn of every Creature, We're going to see this this morning. For by him were all things created. Yeah, you know, the one that put on that humanity. In John 1, 14, in Philippians chapter 2, and verses 6 through 11. Unbelievable. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, every angel, and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, this is all the angelic realm, all things were created by him and for him. And he is, notice that, he is. That's the eternal, the eternal is. He is. Yes, he is. Before all things. That's why in Hebrews 11, 6, uh, without faith it's impossible to, uh, to please him because he because he that comes to God must believe, listen to what it says, that he is <laughs> a rewarder of them that diligently, quickly, spadazio in the Greek, quickly come to him, submit the will. He is before all things, and listen, by him, by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all he might have the preeminence. And believe me, even the things that are, that are in heaven, that are in the earth and under the earth, in the position of the church, us, 
and the position of the kingdom of Israel on the earth and those that are in hell or even cast into the lake of fire, give, give the fact and, and express the facts that he does have the preeminence. What an opportunity and time that we have to experience the reality of this. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. What does that mean? That's Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Colossians 2 and verse 9 in the King James, it's, you know, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then in 2.10 it says, and you are complete in him. The Greek makes it clear. The whole time he walked the face of the earth, he was filled up with all that who God is. Listen to that. He is filled up with all that of who God is. And in 2.10, we're filled up in him. Pretty amazing. That's how we understand this. And it pleased the Father in Colossians 1 and verse 19 that in him should all fullness dwell. That's a position in him. And having or making peace, that's the way we should read this, and making peace through the blood of his cross by him to what? Reconcile what? All things. Look, listen to that. All things. Angelic conflict. Throughout all eternity, we brought out even the heavens. And John, in, in uh, Job 15, 15, were not clean in his sight because there was a rebellion that took place. But it, it has been, as far as God is concerned, reconciled. It's very characteristic. We need to understand, well, this hasn't happened yet. Yes, it has in God's mind. It's characteristic. It's of his character, but it being worked out in time in the perfection of God's plan because his timing is as important as his provision has to do with his glory and it has to do with our blessing. And so it pleased the Father that in him, that in him all fullness should dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself. <laughs> By him, I say, whether they're things in earth or things in heaven. Human beings and principalities and powers and rules of the darkness, spiritual wickedness in the heights. In heaven. And you, very personal. Oh, this is phenomenal. And you that were sometime what? A non-participator. Being and a Christian can be just as much as a non-participator as an unsaved and function in the same hatred and enmity towards God, being not subject to the law of God and not wanting anything to do with it, Romans 7, and neither indeed in that particular place can be in Romans 8, verse 7. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies. Now, if I'm alienated, how do I function? If a Christian functions in the flesh, how does he function? He's alienated, separated from God, and he functions as an enemy, ignorantly or rebelliously. And we can function in both or either one in the flesh. Enemies in your minds. Enemies. Enemies by your mind in wicked works, yet now. Hath, has he, what? Reconciled. That's our position. It doesn't mean we always function in it, but I'll tell you what, God never, once you're in Christ through salvation, receiving him, he never removes his eye from the righteous, even back as far as Job 36 and verse 7, and he never would, because Christ is our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Yet now has he reconciled in the body of his in the body of his flesh through death. Notice that? We were reconciled through what? Christ's death. To present you what? 
in this life that comes out of death, read John uh, 5 and verse 24, to present you what? Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now, as far as he's concerned in opposition, that's a reality. How about our experience? Is my experience the equal of God's sight of me in Christ? Have I been reconciled? Am I in my experience? Notice that? And that's why it says, even as far back as Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, and 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, be holy. Walk according to your character in 1 John 1, 7 in the light. And don't allow your sins to be the determination of who you are in God's sight through a lie and through a work system. Okay? We are holy, so be holy and unblameable and unreprovable in whose sight? His sight, not man's sight, not being a man pleaser through legalism through doism in, in Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2, do and live. Now we live because we've received. Now keep receiving. Keep receiving and do. And, not, and misinterpreting scriptures left and right. James 2, 17, 20 and 26, making a mess out of that through the flesh getting in the way. And never being separated in a proper experience because I don't even know my position in Christ. The very, very basics of Christianity. If you continue, if you continue in absolute dependence, grounded and settled. That's foundational truth. Matthew 16, 18, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. Foundational truth. And stop being moved away from the hope that's yours in your position of the gospel which you have heard. You've heard it, now continue in it. And which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Okay, the, he, Paul is the apostle that God gave to the church to bring us Christ. Remember, he's a messenger. We don't glorify Paul. We don't glorify a man or his gift. Furthermore, we don't pick who's going to be our pastor and who's going to teach us based upon personality traits because that's just a rapport, and a rapport you have in the flesh as a believer, which doesn't amount to anything really at all. As a matter of fact, it's just a manifestation of the flesh. <laughs> and I'll stop right there. Moved away from the gospel which you have heard, which was preached. And I'm the minister. Now, verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, we're going to see. We see it very, very clearly here. We see very, very clearly this, that God first, through Christ and propitiation, dealt with the sin. Not the sins, but the sin of the world in John 1, verse 29. Brought out again in verse 36 of John 1. He dealt with the sin issue. That's propitiation. That is propitiation. And what? But the sin of the world... In that propitiation, which man would refuse, was demonstrated and brought out and manifested by their not believing in Christ. John 1, 11, he came unto his own. The nation of Jews came unto his own. And they rejected him. Not that they didn't know, they said no. No, like a Christian in the flesh. I know the truth, but no. No, because sin is in the will, just like love is in the will. 
So they didn't believe him. Righteousness, and they're seeing him no more. This is John 16, 8 to 11. Thank God that's been cleared up for us. John 16, 8 to 11 has been cleared up for those that are in Christ. Now it's John 16, 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit, who's the anointing in 1 John 2, 20 and 1 John 2, 27, taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us. When the will is submitted, again, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation, your own personal salvation. Christ did it for you personally, had you in mind. God had you in mind personally, individually. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. That's how it's worked out. If it's not that inwardly, it's not being worked out. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you. Oh, legalist. Oh, covenant theologian. Oh, lordship salvationist. Oh, annihilationist. Oh, universalist and every other ism that's outside of Christ. Which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Will has to be submitted. Otherwise, there's no good in me in Romans 7, verse 18 to 21. I, I, you know, I, I find then a law that when I, when I would do good, legalism, lordship, salvation, covenant theology, when I would do good, evil's present with me. I may try and cover it. I may try and cover it and appear so good and then use people that I preach to as a means to build me up in that place as I build them up in that. And what do we function in? Is that called fellowship? Does it have to do with Christ, his person, and what he's accomplished? No. Functioning in the flesh in a system, that's what the system does for a Christian, keeps him in the, fl in the flesh. That you, and, and the enemy can either lift you high up in the flesh or bring you way down low and condemn you. He'll use you to condemn and accuse others if he does it with you. Terrible. Listen. Was there a needed change in us? Yes. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 bring that out very clearly. What Christ accomplished on the cross in John 19, 30 is clearly brought out. A change is needed in us in, in, to our being. But the change has already taken place in our position. The change needs to come in the experience. Okay? In the experience. So change is needed in our being. What is our being? We're in Christ. But in order, God does all things. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. That's what makes uh, the local assembly so extremely necessary with a preciseness of preaching and teaching extremely necessary, especially in the shortness of time that there is. Do I have time? And boy, if I don't, I need to go where God has given it. And thank God he's able to do that. He's the only one that does that. We have that treasure in fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But it's in this order being brought into this order and this proper condition or experience. We need to be brought. That's what he was telling Peter. 
You may think you know these things, but Satan, I'm going to give Satan permission. He's going to come in. He's going to shake you in, in uh, Luke 22, 31 and 32. But when you're strengthened, and the only way that you'll be strengthened in that particular portion is in John 21, verse 18. You may preach and teach, but you, the whole time you're doing that, whether you're ignorant of it or not, you are being carried to a place where there's no way you could go in your experience in John 21 and verse 18. But we need to be, and, and so in that, in that, our need is being changed into order, proper order, and peace before God. And Christ is our peace, Ephesians 2, 14. That was one through what he accomplished on Calvary in Colossians 1 and verse 20. A change is needed. It took place. But reconciling is more. Boy, I wish. I need to understand this with you. And I mean this. I need to understand this. And oh, oh I would so hope that every believer in Christ would understand that reconciling is more than a condition, a state, or experience of feelings. Feelings. It is a being brought back to the condition, a condition, a right experience based upon a position of right relationship with God. We're right, meaning we're righteous. Christ is our righteousness. So we read it in Colossians, the first chapter. We find it to be the purpose, listen to this, of God. That's Romans 8, 28, to the end of that chapter in the 39th verse. See the correlation, okay? See it, it's beautiful. And we can get into those, the preciseness at another time. But we are in that relationship positionally. How about our experience? All things were created by the Son and for Him. We read that in Colossians, the first chapter. And all the fullness of the Godhead which dwelt in Him will bring, will bring all created, all created by and for Him, listen, into its due condition and order into a normal state of relationship with itself. Listen to that. This is amazing. Notice that. Has that happened yet? Has everything that is the characteristic of what Christ has done, has it been worked out in time just yet? No. But is it characteristic? Listen to that word. Our character is who we are in Christ. That's 1 John 1, 7. My conduct, okay, Bad conduct does not indicate proper character. If I think it does, then I have to get into worship, salvation, and covenant theology. I have to do something. I have to go back. I have to go back. I'm in the eighth grade. Now i got to go back to the first grade and do the whole thing all over again to get back to the eighth grade so I can be accepted and be up with the kids in the eighth grade. Never get beyond that in total reality at least experiential reality, not positional reality. So in due time and due condition, God's going to bring everything. So reconciliation dealt with everything. We read it in Colossians, the first chapter. Has, has the earth been brought back into a, into a reconciliation, a, a reconciling relationship with God? Has that happened? No. Does he have a kingdom on the earth yet? No. Our principalities and powers, they dealt with as far as God's concerned, but has it been carried out yet? No, but it's characteristic, just like our character is in Christ. 
This is what reconciliation is. Okay, all things into a normal state. Listen to this. And when I am in a right state with God, I'm in a right state with myself. And when I am, I'm in a right state with every other believer, even if they're functioning in sin and rejecting me. Because in Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they that love your word, your word for us, and nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing. Nothing. It's not how someone treats me that reveals who I am. <laughs> oh boy, you want to talk about trying to earn me. That's why Paul said, listen, if I'm going to be the servant of, of men, I would never be the servant, a worshiper of God in, in Galatians 1 and verse 10, because in his womb, as far as God was concerned, characteristically, had to be worked out. There hadn't been experience in Paul till he was 35 on the road to Damascus in Acts the ninth chapter. But he said, he separated me from my mother's womb. He realized that finally in Acts the ninth chapter, but he did not know it prior to that, but it was still characteristic of God. Gosh, so incredible here. I, I, I'm so, so overwhelmed by this truth. Oh, and just being able to just receive it with you this morning. He brings everything into a proper relationship by bringing them into the relationship with himself. And the source of themselves is from him. And now they have a proper source of their own self. This is image, folks. This has everything to do with image, proper image in Christ. Proper image in Christ. But we, says, and he is, God is in the process of work. Read 1 John 2.17. 2, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not an operating principle in him. And this is, these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things are not of the Father, but are of the world, which is right now in the process of passing away. To be done away with ultimately and completely in Revelation, it's the 20th chapter. Then we enter into the fixedness of eternity. And we see that in, the, uh, in Revelations 21 and, and the finality of it in Revelations 22, verse 11. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is evil and filthy, let him be filthy still. Beautiful. But he's gonna, it's all characteristic of God. Well, why isn't it happening? Because you don't, you don't, you question, and I do at times, because we don't understand the character of God. Now, it's one thing to do it ignorantly. It's another thing to do it doubtfully and in rebellion. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is as witchcraft. Stubbornness is idolatry. Stubborn. Ugh. Stubborn, the will. Refusing to be submitted. Refusing to be where it can be taught deeply the things of God on a very consistent and I mean consistent basis. No spaces, no gaps. Very consistent. Missionaries move around. Evangelists do. Pastors and teachers are stationary. And they give themselves to prayer and the word of God. If you wondered why certain things didn't work out, this is the reason why, if you truly a pastor teacher based upon Acts 6, verse 4. We can see it crystal clear. There's nothing else you should be really, to be honest with you, involved in. And you may do it because you like it. But I don't know if like has to do with the call of God. We are 
Everything else is being in the process of being reconciled, but you and I are already reconciled in Christ. Christ is our righteousness. If we weren't reconciled, we wouldn't have him as our righteousness or our right standing positionally. And we, the righteousness, listen to this, of God in him. No wonder it says in Psalm 11, verse 7, the righteous, righteous God loves righteousness. Notice that? He loves us. Unchanging. Based upon Christ in 1 Corinthians 1.30, who is our righteousness? We can see it. He made him. God made Jesus Christ to be the sin and propitiation for him in Genesis 22 and verse 8, so that he could be the substitute, thereby reconcile us to him who were once alienated. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be the sin sacrifice for us who knew no sin, never had a sin nature, never knew sin like that, that we might be made, notice, made, and finished and completed the righteousness of God, listen, in our position, in him. In him. Being in him. And notice this. He is our righteousness. We have the righteousness of God in him. Read Romans, the fifth chapter. Those 21 verses. Gosh. Read the, read the epistles that Christ gave to Paul that are all ours in Christ, in our position. Read them, study them, get to know them. Make it your full-time thing. Make it your full-time. That's your full-time prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. Find your place. Find your proper place so that you're not here, there, and everywhere. And that I'm not here, there, and everywhere. We are, as regards the very nature of God himself, in our absolute place with God. We've been placed in Ephesians 1, 6, and, and Colossians 1 and verse 13. And we've been accepted because we're righteous, because we've been reconciled, because we have a substitute, but God had to be propitiated. He had to provide himself. And we have this place with God, and that happens to, to be the proper function of a proper image when I'm in my proper place. According to the efficacy of Christ's work, him accomplishing all the results of what God himself needed himself and demanded that we would have, which would only be fulfilled in Christ. That's efficacy that, that was needed. We have that efficacy, and it's of Christ's work. No man. No man. No man. Some would say, work for the night is coming. When the work, work men work no more. What's that, John 9, 4 and 5? What's that mean? That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. A will submitted so that the work, you become a vessel for the manifestation of the work that Christ has accomplished in you as an individual. And so there we have the fact that we have, we are moral beings. And you don't separate true spirituality from true morality. You don't separate them. Being, we are moral beings based upon the fact that we are functioning now in our spirits. And when we don't, we just function as a dichotomous, a self-conscious. And that's what some think morality is. The self-consciousness doing something 
to, to win the goodness to themselves so that everyone else can see it. That even enters into the nonsense of lordship, salvation, covenant theology. It's just what it is. Let's call it what it is, based upon the scriptures and not personal opinions that don't amount to anything but amount to foolishness as a source of ourselves in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Christ is our life. We have a new mind. 1 Corinthians 2 and 16, Philippians 2 and verse 5. And we need to have that mind that's ours positionally constantly renewed in Ephesians 4 and verse 23 through the preaching and teaching. And if I don't know precise preaching and teaching, can I put off the old and put on the new? Experientially. The new mind. And we have that new mind that was needed for this, for this proper relationship, proper image, and proper place. We needed that. And Christ is our life. Not trying to live the Christian life. Boy, we're not trying. Listen, trying. I'm trying to be good, God. No, you're functioning in the flesh and your will. You're in Romans 7. Still, when, it's, when everything's about you, me, myself, and I, like 40 times in Romans, the seventh chapter. And if you want to see that one, you can go into, I believe it's either Job 28 or 29, the, the the old covenant chapter, the old, even before the covenant chapter, <laughs> okay, before the law was given, there was Job trying, justifying himself based upon what he thought his own righteousness was until Elijah, the type of Christ, could come to him in Job, the 32nd chapter, in verses 1 and 2, and, and saying God had, there was wrath against him, anger, because he was living in self-justification. It was based upon his own righteousness. He was justifying himself and not God, meaning he was clearing himself of guilt, but not God. Oh, do we hold each other accountable for that? Would that affect that relationship? We have a new mind because the new mind was needed and Christ is our life. We have that new life in Colossians 3, 4 and first, uh, 3 and verse 4 and 1 John 5, 11. Complete, perfect, complete, finished according to what Christ was for God that you and I may have it. May have it. And we do have it. The believer in Christ is reconciled in the body of, of Christ, notice, of Christ, body through death. We, and we only, ain't, there's none getting out of hell, this side, this side of time, which is eternity, none getting out, nope. It's we, we, believers in Christ, are before God with the entire putting away, listen, in his sight, not my sight, not legalism, not man's sight, in his sight. This is so phenomenal. In his sight of our old rebellious nature. And it was by a work and obedience of Christ, what? That perfectly and finishedly glorified God himself so that we are the righteousness of God in him. Nothing is lacking to our place. Nothing. Nothing is lacking to our place in our standing, our position in Christ. Our old uh, position and our old, even the old experience is gone. Is gone. 
quickened, enlivened together with him, dead. And the old man, Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, is put off. Now we are risen. Position. How about the experience? And the new man put on. We are in Christ before God. According to the, here's that word again, the efficacy of his propitiation. God's propitiation and work. We are so consciously, notice, consciously, if I have a, a clean conscience, that's what enters into my self-consciousness. Clean. Hebrews 10. Read those, first, read those 14 verses in Hebrews the 10th chapter. Consciously, by faith, which is continual dependence, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm dependent, who's present immediately? The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and on a continual basis shows them unto me. When I fail, when I fail, he can't show them to me at that time, but then I can confess it and then he can get right back to confessing and not being grieved in Ephesians 4.30 or quenched in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. I just see God catching us up, all of us. I just see him in the time, redeeming the time in us. Thank you, Lord, for that. I'm thankful with you. So we've been quickened together with him. According to the efficacy, the efficacy, I should say, of his propitiation. Whose propitiation? His. His propitiation and his work. We are consciously, by faith, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, by which we are sealed. We're sealed. Ephesians 1.13, Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, we've been sealed. Sealed means proof of ownership. Once the king put his seal, you don't change it. God forbid anyone should in that day. It would be on death. Sealed, proof of ownership, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Oh, wouldn't it be something if Christians knew that they weren't their own anymore? <laughs> Where do all the struggles come from? In all the areas we blame others just reveals we're trying to live on our own, trying to take the word separated from Christ and trying to do it ourselves, And we end up with cold, frozen, cold theology and no warmth of intimacy with the life of Christ. Nothing is lacking to our place and standing in Christ. The old is gone. We've been alive and quickened together with him dead. The old man put off, we're risen. New man put on. We are in Christ before God. It's according to his the efficacy that was won by his being propitiated through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we see. And then we consciously, that brings us into a clean conscience that keeps us dependent constantly and available to the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5, 16, based upon Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, by which we're sealed. And then what are we in our experience? Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. We function in a proper image. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's nothing that God is looking in me. It's not to a change of mind in us. It's that his mind has been changed, permanently fixed, satisfied, and glorified about who Christ is in us and who we are in him. No change needed in us. Just the experience mean, needs to be brought through preaching and teaching and preciseness back into a proper position and place and image in him. So as we close this morning, as we close, there's so much more to this. And we're still probably going to have to get into it. 
uh, on Monday. But notice this. Propitiation has been made. God is completely, utterly satisfied, glorified even higher than Adam if he had never fell. He's been propitiation. Listen, folks. Propitiation has been made, but it's been made according to the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, God is free. His love and justice, his love is free to flow and justice being met and abounding in love. For God so loved the whole world, the whole mass of humanity. And John 3, verse 16. And so that's why propitiation is the foundation of reconciliation. That's why we go out and preach in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God is, was in Christ right? reconciling, potentially, not against their will, the world to himself. And by when they are, their sins are not imputed to them. But if they don't receive Christ, they don't receive the message of salvation, then they die in their sins in John 8, 21 and 24. And then the dead come back out of hell, but been brought out to the, to the great white throne judgment seat of Christ in Revelations 20, 10 to 15. But that's not our place. Our place is being brought up at the manifestation and reconciliation seat, the Bema seat, where it's not about being judged for sins. It's, it's, it's rewards based upon functioning in what was ours and our will was submitted and all the rest was burnt up. <laughs> it's showing what justice did for it at the Bema seat. That's what the Bema seat is. It's not a sin issue. It's a son issue, a daughter issue. Listen, honestly, in brokenness, I say, it's a love issue. So, Father, thank you so much as you're teaching us so deeply and redeeming the time in my life, in Ed's life, my life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.